0: You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, and I'm James Whitmore. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where this show is being broadcast from, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, and pay my respects to elders past and present. This week, we're going to hear about one of Australia's most endangered marine species and the recently announced plan to save it. We'll be right back after this.
1: We know you love listening to 3CR. But we also know that many of you haven't downloaded the Community Radio Plus app yet. The app lets you tune in anywhere and share the station with your friends. So, show the love and share the love and search Community Radio Plus wherever you get your apps.
0: You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR. Down in the depths of Macquarie Harbour on Tasmania's west coast lives one of Australia's most unique marine animals, the Morgian skate. As we're going to hear, this is a really ancient species that's now found only in the dark waters of the harbour. That means it's also extremely vulnerable vulnerable to human impacts, and as we'll hear, thanks to human impacts like salmon farming, this amazing species could become extinct in as little as 10 years. Recently, the federal government announced a plan, to, a plan to save the species by breeding the skate in captivity. But will that be enough? To find out more, I spoke to Dr Leonardo Guida from the Australian Marine Conservation Society. Hi, Leo. So the Morgean skate, it's a wonderful, mysterious animal. I've seen it called the thylacine of the sea. Can you tell us a bit about what this makes this species so special?
1: This species is one of the most unique species of, of ray or even fish, really, in, in the world, in that it's been around since the Gondwanan period. Um, so this is around about the time, you know, 60 odd million years ago, and T-Rex is in its kind of last breaths roaming the earth, and Australia has split from, from the massive Gondwana. mass, so Australia is becoming isolated. Um, and in that isolation, like we see on land, also under the waves, Australia starts evolving really unique animals that aren't found anywhere else in the world. And the Morgan skate ends up um, in Macquarie Harbour, this small pocket of water that, that I affectionately call a bit of a bathtub in Tasmania. It's it's enclosed in an area of about 300 square kilometres. Um, and, yeah, it's found nowhere else in the world. It's a living dinosaur. It's the most geographically restricted charcoal ray in the world. And also, as you touched on, being thylacine of the sea, it's facing a possible extinction within... 10 years, some say possibly even five, unless we take real drastic action. And as we saw in the conservation advice that was released um, just last week, the single primary threat and catastrophic risk, in fact, that was identified by scientists, is intensive salmon aquaculture within Macquarie Harbour.
0: So also following that information um, last week, the federal government announced a plan to to save the skate. Um, Can you explain Mm. what the plan is?
1: Yeah, so uh, last week, Federal Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek announced uh, $2.1 million to support uh, a captive breeding program for the skate. And normally you wouldn't necessarily advocate for a captive breeding program because you would say, look, let's actually save it in the wild first. Um, Captive breeding should be a very, very last resort. And the situation is that far gone that that's where we're at, that quite literally we need to get as many individuals as possible to then put back into the harbour to help supplement this population and its recovery. Um, And you might've just noticed, I said, to to take individuals and put them back into the harbour. So whilst the captive breeding program is a necessary step and a very welcome step, um, the success of a captive breeding program is largely gonna be dependent on a healthy Macquarie Harbour because that's where you're taking individuals from. And also the individuals that you put back, you want them to survive and and reproduce into the future. So captive breeding program is is a necessary and a fantastic step forward. but the larger issue at play is the health of the harbour itself. And as the conservation advice identified, one of the urgent priority actions to undertake by the end of this summer is the reduction in the amount of salmon that's farmed in, in Macquarie Harbour. And we've been advocating uh, with the Australian Marine Conservation Society that uh, along with other environmental groups, in fact, that, Mac- uh, that salmon farming actually cease in Macquarie Harbour and the harbour itself allowed to, to kind of recover itself.
0: Mm. So the plan doesn't do anything to address um, the the habitat threats, particularly salmon farming. So you can explain why salmon farms are such a big threat to this species?
1: Yeah, so the intensive salmon aquaculture that occurs in Macquarie Harbour, what happens is um, largely through fish feed and fish waste, uh, what happens is is uneaten fish feed falls to the bottom of the harbour, as does fish waste. Microbes eat that fish feed and fish waste. Uh, And what happens is they chew up whatever limited oxygen is already in the harbour. So I should say the Macquarie Harbour naturally is an environment of low dissolved oxygen in the water. And so this excessive fish feed and fish waste and the microbial action that occurs chews up whatever little oxygen is in the water. So it drastically exacerbates the problem. Um, And so as a result um, there's very little uh, oxygen coming into the harbor as well from the seawater, and this is in part due to uh, the damming of rivers that that limits seawater coming in. It's quite a complex thing to describe um and for people to listen to without seeing a picture, but suffice to say that basically the fresh water that comes off and runs over the top of the harbor creates a cap. Salmon chews up, well salmon farming chews up a little what little oxygen is already in the harbor. And only when seawater kind of comes in through these big westerly storms does seawater really come in and kind of regenerate the oxygen in the harbour. So we saw in 2019 that because there was this continual depletion of oxygen in the water for such an extensive period of time, um, we saw an extreme weather event where there was a huge westerly storm that came into the harbour and it was able to push the river flow back. The seawater came in. And seawater, because it's denser than freshwater, sinks to the bottom of the harbour, and as it does that with all its oxygen, it actually displaces the oxygen-depleted water at the bottom right up through the water column. So it literally flips the harbour upside down. And so all that oxygen-depleted water, or hypoxic water, I should say, goes up through the water column and essentially causes a fish kill. And this is what happened to the Morgan Gate in 2019, where it lost an estimated half its population. Um, that that really severely hypoxic water went up into the shallows where the skate lived and literally choked it to death
0: so you're calling for the salmon farming to exit the harbor completely how could yep. that be done
1: yeah, that's a, that that's a really great question um and it is a it, it goes without saying it it, it can it probably is a logistical challenge um but that's not to say impossible so we also should should bear in mind that um, that where Macquarie Harbour is, one third of it is a World Heritage Area, and there's no salmon farming in that. But there's salmon farming essentially adjacent to that, and the Federal Environment Minister um, administers the EPBC Act, so the Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act, and this this is our nat- these are our national nature laws that are designed to protect the environment and and species at risk. So the Federal Environment Minister has obligations under that act um and another thing we're asking is that through the, the epbc act um that salmon farming be removed from the harbour for its effect not just on the species but also on the world heritage area values of the harbour itself uh but again essentially it i i can see the the logistical challenges but it's by no means Impossible. Um, and a simpler solution could be that with the current stock that's currently being farmed, once they are harvested, then they're not replaced. Simple as that. Um, and that would address the primary, and as the conservation advice says, the most catastrophic risk to the skate in its existence.
0: So, as you just mentioned in 2019, um, just a, a, a single storm um, was really catastrophic for this species. What makes this skate so vulnerable?
1: I should, I should say that in 2019, it wasn't just a single storm. There were also, uh, it was basically two kind of extreme weather events in the one year. Um, there was also some significantly elevated water temperatures, which also pushed the skate beyond its physiological limits. But the other thing is, is with warming water, it also holds less oxygen. So a lot of these factors compound. So it, it's, it's a hyper-specialist, like it only lives in this harbour and the conditions of this harbour, which are really unique. This harbour is naturally low in oxygen. Um it has, it's it's really stratified into layers. There's a fresh top layer. There's this brackish or semi-salty, if you will, middle layer that's filled with tannins. So the stuff that comes from like wood and organic matter and those tannins create really, really dark water that prevents light penetrating. And so under that middle layer, you've then got saline water. So water from the sea. And because there's no light getting to it, it kind of mimics conditions in the deep ocean. And all this is within a, you know, a real confined space that's 300 square kilometres and at most maybe 50 metres deep. So it's a really, really unique environment. And as such, the skate is specifically adapted to that. So it can handle some short-term abrupt changes, like some changes in salinity because seawater might come through and it has to kind of maybe move into the shallows where it's a bit fresher or some it might need a little bit of an oxygen burst so it it goes up into the shallows again where there's relatively more oxygen than the bottom um but they're really really short-term changes like perhaps you know hours to maybe days but again because the harbour has been pushed so too hard for too long in terms of the environmental strains and the, and the, the conditions there the skate is literally pushed to its physiological limits um and then when you do get these extreme weather events that that abruptly changed the dynamics of the harbour in an instant, um, it's basically the straw that breaks its back. Uh, And that's what we saw in 2019 where the skate was pushed so hard for so long, it was on its last legs. And then all of a sudden you get this massive upwelling of hypoxic water into the shallows where it's living and it's just gone. Um, And, yeah, there were rough estimates or the best estimates that I could come up with in 2014, 16. And those estimates were, you know, anywhere between 3,200 and 6,000 individuals. And in one extreme weather event, you have half of them wiped out. So the numbers now are looking at around, you know, even if you did a back of the envelope calculation, you're looking at around 1000, you know, maybe at best somewhere around 2000. So very, very low numbers. And, The other implication of having those low numbers is genetic diversity. And so there's a real risk that, you know, the species starts inbreeding. Um, And then there are problems associated with that. So even if you do get to a situation where, let's say, for argument's sake, there might only be two or 300 individuals, that basically could put a nail in the coffin and say, well, extinction is guaranteed now. It's just a matter of when because they're going to inbreed themselves to death. Uh, so it is a very, very dire situation. Um, I'm pretty sure no one wants another Tasmanian tiger event. And what's even more alarming for me personally is that um, this could very well be, if if nothing is done quick enough or or, or significantly enough, this could very well be the first extinction um, in modern times of a sharp rate in the world and directly because of human activity.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, the environment you're describing is very extreme. It's very... Uh, dark and um, you know a very extreme environment. How do people actually study this species? I mean, is this something you can dive down and look for? Or?
1: Um, so the way they study it is um, over several years because they've had to keep methods consistent because you need consistent methods so that you can compare year on year for a decade plus or even more they've generally, the scientists have gone out and very, very carefully have put in gill nets um, and caught the morgan skate and hauled them up and taken samples and measured them and and so on and so forth. And even taken some samples, some eggs back to the lab and even hatched them in the lab, which is the lab, which is kind of where the captive breeding is going at the moment. Um, But yeah, so they would go out into the harbour and with these nets, they would catch them, sample them, take whatever measurements they need. But now it's getting to a point where, because the numbers are so low, that that kind of sampling can still occur, but has to be done even more carefully. Um, So what they're now looking at what they've explored is different ways of using sonar, um, even LIDAR technology to basically essentially with high-tech equipment um, without having to fish and disrupt these animals or catch them is to basically see through the water and get an individual, pick out individuals and even count them. And so where the technology is heading, it's not my area of expertise, but essentially it's going to be really high-tech sort of scanning that is able to penetrate the water and the depths and you can actually kind of pick out the individuals and in some of the the, the concept trials that they've done, they've been able to do that. So as you touched on, the thing that makes it really challenging, particularly if you want to say go diving, for example, is the fact that you can't see. Um, it's incredibly, incredibly turbid through that layer. Um, and even with underwater cameras, you can sort of see the animals. I know that with the the salmon aquaculture, they have cameras around their pens and at depth in certain points. And they do get video footage of, of some skates, and we've got some amazing some images of it. Um but again, even in that video footage, you'll see that it's it's quite dark. It's very turbid. It's got like this mustardy yellow tinge to it. Um it's it's a super unique environment. Uh, and all the more reason, really, to preserve it and make it resilient and improve its health. I'm
0: talking with Dr. Leonardo Guida from the Australian Marine Conservation Society, and we'll hear more from Leo after the break. But first, this is Chris Anyalu with Big Sky Country. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio. <music>
2: Go shows us the way, giving safe passage for another day it sky.
0: to plus people, that's come from a large history of people standing up and acting up for our rights and our
1: communities.
2: Talking Queer Pacifica, talking about us. You know,
1: there's this very like, violent act of like hatred and bigotry towards trans people, where they demonise the image of trans people, especially trans women. For working class queers, for queers of colour, for those who are poor and homeless, the struggle is continuing.
0: 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. That was Big Sky Country by Chris Anyalu, and you're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio. I'm talking to Dr Leonardo Guida about the plan to save the unique Morgan skate. So the skate was actually recognised as endangered back in 2004 and as you've just explained, things have got substantially worse for it since then. I mean, how has that come about? It seems like a you know a ridiculous failure.
1: yeah, it's it's a very long and tragic story how the skate has gotten to where it is now. Um, and as the conservation device you know has has shown us since two thousand and nine dissolved oxygen in the water from an already naturally sort of lowish level has just plummeted. To, to around about 20% now and the skate kind of needs dissolved oxygen to be around, you know, at a minimum, the estimates are at a minimum 40 to, to 60% is ideal for the skate. And at the moment, you know, since for the past, I think five years now, it's kind of, it's kind of hovered in this death zone. It's kind of stabilized in this death zone at about, uh, around about 20% or less. Um, and then in 2009, uh, it, 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 when salmon farming was allowed to expand considerably in terms of the amount of fish it produced, the dissolved oxygen plummeted considerably. So that drop in dissolved oxygen, um, as conservation advice has told us, or these scientists have told us, is is the primary threat. Um, and since then, the skate has really suffered for it. So, and then as I said, you get that 2019 issue of, of a mass mortality event that only wipes out half. And And so, you know, with with El Niño coming up towards the end of the year, um, or at least looking very likely to come up towards the end of the year and, and the extreme weather and temperatures associated with that, you know, this animal is one extreme weather event away from extinction. So, and the conservation advice points to this again, that by the end of this year, a raft of things need to be done because this harbour, in every which way possible, we need to do the best we can to get those dissolved oxygen levels up so that in the, in the event an extreme weather condition does occur, that harbour is resilient. It's healthy enough to withstand that. And the skates by extension can withstand it because they have enough oxygen and their bodies aren't pushed to that limit right on the very edge. So yes, as as you said, since since the early 2000s endangered and the situation's gotten a lot worse. Um, Ourselves at the Australian Marine Conservation Society and our, our partners at Humane Society International, we nominated the species for critically endangered listing last year. Um, no, my mistake. Earlier this year, in March, and by the looks of it, I mean, I think even blind Freddy can see that you know it's it's most likely going to be listed as critically endangered. But again, that's the decision that the federal environment minister will have to make. But I suppose, irrespective of, of what it is on paper, the very cold reality is is that we have to do a lot, as does the the Tasmanian government and the federal government. They have to do a lot by the end of this year um, to really give this animal the best chance. Otherwise, yeah, Australia could see a new extinction. I
0: just want to ask you briefly about, you know, other marine species because we see this over and over again. Species are recognised, endangered. Nothing is done until it's almost too late. Last mm-hmm. year, the government announced a plan um, with a goal of no new extinctions. And mm-hmm. we've got other species on that plan like grey nurse shark, red hand fish. Yep white seahorse, sawfish. Do you think that plan is adequate to save these species?
1: I think the government has made, and this is the Australian government, the federal government, um, has made a commendable ambition in no new extinctions and identifying these 110 priority species, of which, as you've identified, uh, a few of them are are marine. Um, And that's a welcome step forward because previously, I personally hadn't heard any language about preventing new extinctions and being so explicit about it, and creating this priority list. Now, it's one thing to say that and to plan it and to create a plan for it, but it's obviously another thing to act on it and make sure that it happens. Um, and so we've also been involved in strengthening Australia's nature laws, which is a big part of that as well, aside from just an individual species and how you recover it, so just broadly nature laws. And there's been a lot of issues around that, both on terrestrial and in the marine environment. So it is a commendable ambition, um, but now we really have to see action on this. The Morgan skate, I see as a litmus test to the government's, I suppose, um, commitment to this ambition. So far, the signs are positive. Um, but again, captive breeding is not a silver bullet. It's a necessary part of it. But fundamentally, the health of the harbour has to be restored. The harbour has to become resilient. um, And that involves the removal of salmon aquaculture, first and foremost. Um, It also involves some adjustment to how TAS Hydro manage their river flows to help promote oxygen recharge from the ocean into the harbour. And there are other range of, I suppose, if if you want secondary and kind of fringe elements that that add to the bigger picture. Uh, But we really have to see... Those big actions happen, particularly with salmon aquaculture, to give this species a chance. And I should also mention that it's not just the Morgian skate that lives in that harbour. You've got species of dogfish, which is another kind of shark. Um, you've got a range of other animals and, and even invertebrates and crabs, you know, stuff that you probably wouldn't necessarily consider as important, but they are. And so the Morgian skate is this litmus test of how does the Australian government deal with a species that's on the brink of extinction? And how do we learn the lessons now so that other species which are around the geographical corner, like I work with other endemic sharks and rays that are caught in commercial fisheries that are, that are threatened with extinction and some of them are critically endangered. So in dealing with the morgan Skate, it really is that litmus test for, for dealing with other threatened species under the waves in a silent extinction crisis that are dealing with similar pressures of human um, extraction of natural resources. So those lessons there have to be applied there as well, because it's not just about the skate, but it's about the broader environment.
0: So you're one of the groups working on the recovery team. Can you tell us a bit about that and how that's all going to work?
1: So the Australian Marine Conservation Society and myself are the conservation rep on the more na- the National Morgan Skate Recovery Team. Um, and that recovery team consists of the whole gamut of stakeholders from industry, scientists, government, ourselves uh, in conservation, and also community members. And... The progress thus far, I have to say has been positive in that we're actually working quite well together within this recovery team to hear the different perspectives and solutions on how we can save this gate. And as we've seen um, in the conservation advice, it really is critical that that those actions that that are decided upon are delivered by the end of the year Um, and yeah i think if we all put our heads and hearts together i think there's a positive future for the skate as well as the communities within tasmania that depend on the harbor both for for recreational purposes and also tourism and so forth so it's going to be a challenging road moving forward um there's no doubt about that Uh, we're not just on the front we're not just the front row of a potential you know extinction event we're on the court playing um and we really need to deal with this so moving forward so far the, the steps are are encouraging but um The job's by no means done.
0: That was Dr. Leonardo Guida from the Australian Marine Conservation Society, which is working with other scientists and government to save the wonderful morgan Skate from extinction. And that's all for this week. If you want to listen to this show again or any of our previous episodes, head to www.3cr.org.au forward slash Radio Blue. We'll be with you again next week. And in the meantime, stay well.